Well, good evening. Good to see you this week. I hope you guys are doing well. You are all eligible to be here tonight. Thank you, Nando, for that great English. <laughs> it was great. It's good to see everybody, um, especially those of you who are visiting us for the very first time today or you've been with us for the last week or two. Thank you for taking this time to make us a part of your Sunday. We really hope that you feel at home. Um, today is slightly different for me, maybe not for you. I had a whole word prepared for today, and about two hours ago, I felt like I shouldn't share it. And so, whatever happens is his fault. Um, I'm good, really. Um, I'm fine. But today, I, be, I want us to talk more as a family than anything else. And so I don't want to preach really than I want to share about who we are and what we are going to be about this year. I think it's important that we have moments like this as a family where we can look ahead to where God wants us to be and where God is calling us and brace ourselves for the opportunities, challenges, and the grace of God that lies ahead of us. And so this is a very important moment for us because every now and again, we gather together to do one cause. Every now and again, we put all our eggs into one basket and we say we are all going to be about this one thing. Tonight is that moment, and I'm, I'm asking you to bring your eggs to that basket today. And hopefully as we do that, uh, really we'll see uh, a change. We'll be able to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Everybody together? Amen. Amen. Um, one of my all-time favorite sporting legends is uh, Muhammad Ali. Float like a butterfly. And thank you very much. Now, Muhammad Ali was phenomenal in the boxing ring, but he was just as phenomenal outside the ring in terms of his gift of the gab. The guy had some wit. The guy was funny. He was brilliant. He was smart. There's, there's a story of Muhammad Ali being in an airplane, and just, the airplane, just before the airplane sets off, the intercom comes on, and it says, all right, everybody needs to put on the seat belts. Everybody needs to take those trays and put them back because we're about to fly out. And Muhammad Ali wouldn't flinch. The intercom goes again, says exactly the same thing. He chooses not to do anything. And so this uh, a hostess walks up to Muhammad Ali, and he says, well, Mr. Ali, you need to put on your seat belt, otherwise we cannot fly out. And here's what Ali said. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the air hostess had a brilliant response. He said, well, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> so put on your seatbelt. <laughs> I don't know what idea of hero you have in your mind. But, but I do know if I had to take time to sit down with each and every one of you this evening and ask you who your hero is, I know the answers would be varied. But I do know the majority of you would give me a name that is completely unknown. It would be a mother or a brother or a coach, a teacher, someone that nobody knows. Why? Because being a hero is not synonymous to being popular or famous. In fact, the characteristics of a hero are less about being powerful and more about being selfless. They're, they're less about what you have and more about what you give. They're less about what you know and how many people you lead and more about how people feel when they're around you. And what's funny to me is that the characteristics that the world would deem heroic the Bible labels it as dying to self. 
That what the world thinks is extravagant in giving, extravagant in bravery, the Bible just says, no, it's just another Tuesday of following Jesus. This just is Tuesday. But here's what I've learned, that as you walk in life, there comes a moment, if you're fortunate, where you get to come face to face with the realization that the key ingredient to living a life that is mediocre is to live a life for yourself. If you want to live a mediocre life, live life for yourself. If you want to live a life that is subpar to your calling, to your purpose, to your destiny, to all that God has given you, live life for yourself. Live life trying to fulfill your potential instead of trying to meet the calling of Jesus. I've said this before, potential and calling are not the same thing. You can fulfill your calling and yet miss, you can fulfill your potential and yet miss your calling. But it's key for us to understand that even Jesus lived like this. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come to hoard and protect his authority and power, but instead he came to seek and save those who are lost Jesus didn't come to to self-promote himself in, in the advancement of the kingdom, but instead he came to give of himself for the advancement of his kingdom. And so I want to propose this evening, I want to dare try do something impossible enough as to convince you this evening that the selfless life is the best way of life. And that actually, one of the greatest things we can be selfless and generous about is the message of the king. Is this message that says, anyone who's far from God can actually come near him right now. You see, your gifts and all the talents that you have, God has given you so that you can bring redemption into the world. He's given you gifts and talents so that you can go into a broken world and fix and mend that which man has broken. And so right now in your workplace, it really isn't about how much you get, but how much you are able to transform that which culture has broken and mend it so that it can look, feel, taste like the kingdom. But what he has given us, the greatest gift that God has given you and I to give to the world is something no Steve, Steve Jobs has, something no one of, 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 of high caliber might have, something no one of, of high prestige might have. It is something that only a people of God are given, and that is a message that allows those who are far to come near. I've watched over the years great men of God lose they faith. And by losing their faith, they, they lose passion. And, and it all begins when they take the pedal off the mission. It, that's all. That all the time. It begins by saying, you know, I don't need to preach this gospel. I, I, I just need to hope that everybody will be saved. I just need to hope that the world will be different And every single time when you take the pedal off the mission, passion begins to wane of your soul. So today I want us to look at an interesting story. And in this story, we are going to learn how God brings change in our lives. And really, I'm going to give you the the, the, the answer right away. God brings change to people's lives through relationships. It really does. 
through selfless relationships. He brings change into their lives through their individual relationship, through the corporate relationship, but also through the relationship of Jesus Christ. That salvation is actually not a mere moment in and of itself, but it is a process and, and, and a flow of experience that begin to take place as these relationships are touching an individual over and over and over and over again. That the whole idea of the gospel is sown as a seed is that we as Christians are meant to sow multiple seeds. Why? Because we are doing it over and over and over and over again. And we are trusting for one seed to bud and to grow and to produce fruit. Now, I'm not asking you to do something weird. Um, and some of the weird things, that, at least some of the things that we call weird are not weird to other people. I'm not asking you to go to a train and preach. Now, I'm not even asking you to find a pulpit and preach behind it. I'm not even asking you to give up your life and become a, a full-time minister. I'm not asking you. All I'm asking you this year is very simple. Just one person. Just one person. I'm not asking you to save your whole school. I'm not asking you to save your whole company. Just one person. Because here's what I realize. You know, the reason why just one person is key is this. There is nothing more addictive in life than life change. I don't care what it is that you're addicted to. There is nothing more addictive in life than watching someone's life change. And you being a part of the process and the eye-opening experience that God can use middly old you to do something that produces great fruit in the kingdom. Life change is addictive, and you can be a part of it if you just reach out to one, just one. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. Normally I have my Bible. Oh, I forgot it at home. Um, let's move on from that point. We will be having a marriage seminar in about two weeks' time. The first topic will be, bring your husband's Bible. <laughs> anyway, get thee behind me, Satan. All right, let's go. Um, verse 35. Uh, sorry, we normally do. Do you mind standing up as we read the Word of God? I'll read it for you, and uh, we'll get into the Word. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was a guy called Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Father, thank you for your word this evening. Give us grace to hear it. And I pray that you give us the power to obey it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I'm not going to be long today, but I do want to walk through some of the points in this text. 
We see a flow in this text that in order for you, in order for God to bring change into your life, there's a flow of events that need to happen. You need to behold, you need to see, you need to behold, you need to see, and as well as you need to hear, you need to listen. These three rhythms are critical, and you and I are a part of creating these three rhythms. John the Baptist is outrightly one of the weirdest guys in the Bible. If he was living in our days, he would be wearing skinny jeans. But he isn't, really. I say that because Pastor Jonathan is here in the front. Brother Man is out in the wilderness eating locusts and other weird foods, half-dressed, praying all the time, and dunking people into water, which is what we term baptism. Telling everybody, there is a king who's coming, and trust me, when he comes, you need to be ready for this king. And this is him, 24-7. And along the way, him being uh, a teacher, he, he manages to have some disciples, basically students, who are following him. Now, there, there weren't schools like we have in our time, but... People would follow teachers and they would spend hours upon hours, days upon days with teachers listening to the wisdom that is coming out of their mouth. So John is one of those teachers and uh, Andrew and another John, they are one of his, some of his students. And so here they are, they've just had a session with John and in the middle of the session, Jesus walks past. Man, I wonder what it felt like to see Jesus walk past. Ever had those moments when just it feels like the presence of Jesus just walks past in your life? And this is the moment right here. He's not feeling it. He's seeing it. Now, bear in mind, John is Jesus' cousin, so he knows who Jesus is. He's seen him out at home cookouts, brides. You know, they had built on together, all those wonderful things. But in this particular moment, all of a sudden he sees Jesus and he tells his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. For the first 30 years, he, he hadn't realized who Jesus was. But in this particular moment, God opens up his eyes and he realized, This is the one. This is the one. Now, people would have known. People would have known in that culture what the Lamb of God means. They would have known that the, the idea of a lamb is that God will send a, 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 someone to come and help the people, someone who will be a sacrifice for the people, someone who will be the Messiah and the Christ. They would have understood it in the Old Testament uh, sense that they would sacrifice lambs before the throne as to do away with the sin in their life. They knew what he meant when he said the Lamb of God. And ultimately, here's what John is saying to his disciples. Listen, I know that you have been trying to find an answer for life. Behold, there it is. It just walked past us. Behold, there's the answer. But you have to understand something that first it says, when John saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. In other words, you need to know him to show him. If you don't know him, you can't show him to people. 
He had spent enough time in that word, spent enough time in anticipation and expectation that a king is coming, that when the moment came, he was able to see him. And because he was able to see him, he was the only one who was able to show people the solution that they had been waiting for. Behold, the solution of life just walked into the room. And here's the key. We, as people of the kingdom, are called to call people to behold. We are called to call people to look. I want you to understand, he didn't say, believe the Lamb of God. He didn't say, have faith right now, here's the Lamb of God. He just said, behold, I just want you to look. There there it is. There he is. Look. Behold the Lamb of God. And this year, I want to encourage us to help people to behold by doing four simple things. We, we, to, to help people behold, one, we need to be able to use our testimonies, use our story. And that's very simple. What has God done in your life lately? And that's all it is. Sharing your testimony, sharing your story about what God has done for you is a way of helping people to look, to behold. Another way is that we, we, we allow people to behold by our deeds. How we do what we are called to do allows people to look differently at the situations in their life. Right now, God has given you the means to make a living. And if you only look at it from the basis of a means to make a living, you will get what you expect. But if you look at it as a means to allow people to behold, that the way you do your work allows people to look at you and go, there is something different about this individual, it will actually change the way you do your work. Through our deeds, we allow people to behold the king. Lastly, our our words, or second last, our words... What we share when we speak about who Jesus is, we allow people to behold. Now, we live in a culture where we are not allowed to speak about him. I'm encouraging you that there is a, the Bible said this time would come. So the Bible isn't um, surprised by the fact that we live in a time where it's ob and abnormal to talk about him. And it said what will happen in this moment. It said his presence will be with you and signs will follow those who believe. So, in those moments when you are with people, using your words to tell them, this is who Jesus is. Trust God for the fourth thing that allows people to behold, which is signs. What Mike was talking about, that's what signs is. Find out how you can pray for people's needs. Find out how you can pray for people's needs. One of the most amazing things we can do is stand in faith with someone who's, who's facing an impossibility, pray knowing fully well that we serve the God of the impossible, and smile with them when the good stuff happens. But, but we have to be there when it's impossible. <laughs> we actually have to be there when it's impossible. So we have to try and find opportunities in our workplace and in our communities to find those people who are in impossible situations and Put ourselves within they miss and pray and trust God for something to happen in their lives. 
A good practical way to do it is put it on your calendar. Once you've uh, uh, chatted to a few people, maybe there's two, three people who are facing impossibilities, fast for them. Take one day a week to say, man, I'm going to fast. Take uh, a, 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 not a Saturday morning. That's when the good stuff is out. Take, take a Friday morning. No one cares about Friday mornings. Take a Friday morning. Fast. Give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm asking you to come through for my friend. Behold the Lamb of God. All of those are pointers to a different solution. Your first priority as a Christian is to show people that there is another way to live. There is another way to live. You do this by testimony, by words, by deeds, and by signs. Secondly, he says this in John 1, 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? I believe Jesus is still asking this question in the world. What do you want? What do you want? Because everybody wants something. What do you want? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I want you to understand what they're saying. They, they didn't say, we want money, we want this. The, the, the deep cry of a man's soul is relationship. It, they have an opportunity right now before the king. They've heard so much about him. John has spoken about him and said, listen, when he comes, he's so unworthy for me. He's so, he's so powerful, so holy that I can't tie, untie his shoelaces. I, I have to leave his Nikes alone. I, I can't touch his Adidas. When he rocks up, Everybody knows, man, here's the king, here's the man of the moment. And they have an, uh, an opportunity to, 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 ask him to, to, to ask him to do for them what they need the most. And all they ask for is relationship. I'm telling you now, right now, whatever problem you have in your life, there is a deeper, dire need in your soul, and it's relationship. Do you know in 1987, they did a, um, a survey on getting jobs, and they found by and large, the majority of people got their jobs through, through relationships, not through their CVs. That they got their jobs through an acquaintance or a friend who knows, and they managed to, to, to hook them up or to link them with an individual. Through relationships. But here's what he says. Ooh, that child needs a relationship, though. <laughs> and he said to them, and here's the key. He said to them, this is Jesus now. They've just responded, where are you staying? And he says to them, come and you will see. Now in the first part, I spoke about what you can do, what we are called to do as individuals to help people to behold. This moment allows us as a corporate people, as a family of believers, as a church, to know what we are supposed to do. And here's what it is. We are meant to create an environment where people can come and investigate. That, that's, what, that's what that means right there. Come and think. Come and investigate. Come and question. That the environment we have here on Sundays, on, during the week, in our small groups, is meant to be an environment where people who are far from God can come and take a peek and investigate this thing that we talk about. Investigate this truth that we believe. But we need to create that environment. A year ago, a year ago uh, 
two gentlemen pulled uh, me and, and a friend out there at the back. And uh, they wanted to ask a few questions about the church. And the question was, can, can my friend who is gay come to this church with his partner? Now, in those moments, you, you hope you've had enough quiet time. <laughs> because in, in our day and age, anything you say it can be wrong. And so I found, I, found, I found a friend, you know, call a friend. I found a friend. I said, um, before I answer your question, just let me get a friend. I knew what the answer was going to be, but I wanted to give them more than an answer because I wanted them to be hold for a moment. So I called a friend, and we stood next to them. I said, could you ask that question again? And they said, can my friend who is gay come here with a partner? I said, yes. Why not? And they said, no, well, we went to this other church, and they weren't accepted, and then we've gone to another church. And you know, even right now, as I'm saying it, how many of you are feeling... Right? Here's, here's what troubled me about the question. What troubled me about the question is, how did we get to a place where people have to ask if they can come? How, how did we manage to, to create a come and be judged atmosphere? How did we manage to be a people who have been loved by God unconditionally? We never, we never did anything to be loved. How did we manage to be a kind of people that people will come and be isolated, come and be lonely, come and be rejected, come and be unaccepted. How did we become that? How did we miss the mark? How did Jesus hang out with prostitutes and sinners and we hang out with wise people with great shirts and t-shirts? How, how did we become that? It could be that we stop beholding. It could be that, that we started thinking that in order for people to change, they need church religion instead of kingdom authenticity. It could be that we depend so much on our, on our structure to change people's lives instead of the, the reality of what takes place when we are together. And what people need to see when they come into this building what people need to experience as they drive through that parking lot. This is why you being a volunteer is more than you putting up a hand on a Sunday. That the gospel is preached from the parking lot, from when you tap that multimedia tap, when, when you shake someone's hand, when you give someone an, 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 a, a booklet, that there is a continuous gospel being preached because people have come into an environment where they are allowed to just investigate. And we have nothing to hide, right? Because by being here, we've already declared that we are so imperfect that we need help already. We, we, have, we have nothing to hide. We, we've declared already that our lives are, are, are depraved without him. We've, we've declared already that our lives are in need of him. And so they need to come and see, and, and they seeing must happen as they encounter kingdom authenticity. And, and what I mean by that, they must see us doing life. They, they must see us disagreeing and yet loving one another. They, they must see, see us agreeing strongly about what we hold dear, 
that we, that we are unmovable about the convictions of our heart. They, they must see the, this, this passion that allows us every week, not only to come here, but every week to be a demonstration of the kingdom. They must see that, that there is a place where the issue of race isn't an issue anymore. They must see that there's a place where the gospel precedes what I look like, where I come from, how I speak, you know, what I say. That there is a place that functions above the norm of culture. And as they see, here's, here's what happens. It says they, they hung out with Jesus and they saw him in the 10th hour. That's 10 hours after 6 a.m. It was about 4 o'clock just before Days of Our Lives. They, they, they came to Jesus just before the show came on. That's important. You don't want to miss this. Even Jesus, but hold on, guys. <laughs> hold on. It's not a it's, it's bow. It's bow and hope. Yes. It's very it's critical. They need to come and see bow and hope. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all right? I told you this is two hours long. My bad. They stayed with him. I want you to understand that. That they came, they saw, and they actually stayed the night. Are we creating an environment where people come, they come, they investigate, and they go, whoa, that was too good. I need to, I need to find out a little bit more about this. I need to stay longer. It's, it's, I came. And you understand how easy it is right now? Because people expect us to be judgmental. They expect you to reject. They expect you supposedly to be archaic, even though that term is not true, because we are not archaic. We are holding on to eternal principles. That's, that's for another day. But we have the chance to, to live with the opposite spirit of when people come, what they expect they don't get. Instead, they're greeted by happy people. And, and when they're not happy, they, they're vulnerable enough to know that, man, God is still good. I, I, I might be going through a lot, but I know that there's joy even in my suffering. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And if I'm not good, I know that there's someone I can turn to who I can call on, who I can say, hey, I, I'm struggling with this, that there is a community that actually loves each other in a way that's attractive to people seeking love. Man, we need to be experts at loving each other. We need to be experts. And when someone comes in, even if they are Christians, when someone comes into this building and they don't look okay, we need to feel comfortable enough to turn around and go, hey, are you all right? I, I, I pray, this is my prayer. This is this team's prayer. I pray that there will be no one who comes in this place on a Sunday who leaves without anyone noticing them, without anyone seeing them. I hope that everyone will have the chance to be seen. It's why we're changing our structures. We, we're about to introduce section leaders, that every single section of the church has a whole bunch of leaders who are out there just looking and seeing and making sure that everyone is seen. So when people come and investigate, they experience something that makes them go, man, I want to try this again. Lastly, John 1, 41 to 42. He, talking about Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you our son, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be 
called Cephas. Peter came in one way, and he left another way. You are X, but you shall be Y. See, the reason why we bring people to Jesus is that we have become convinced that this is the only place that transformation actually takes place. This is what we are convinced of. And so we are not convinced if we are not bringing people to Jesus. It means we are more convinced that there is another place where transformation will take place. So I might bring them to that. I might refer them to a good book, to a good person, to a good system. But, but, but when you're convinced that something works, you bring people to that thing. He's a bad friend who invites you to a restaurant that they know is a bad restaurant. But it's a good friend who invites you to a place that they know is a great place. It's, it's, it's good friendship to bring people to Jesus. It's just normal good friendship. It, it's saying, I want the best for your life. I really do. I, and, I, and I found something that works. So come. Come, come and investigate this. Um. Years ago, when uh, I lived in Korea, my wife and I stayed in a place called Itaewon. Itaewon is famous for all the expats staying there, and we stayed by the U.S. military. And one time, uh, fairly new uh, to the area, I decided to walk up this particular place. I was walking by myself, prayer walking and all those wonderful things. I didn't realize that I was walking, my, my wife is looking down, I was walking up a place called Hooker Hill. Now, by your response, you know this, this is not good. Uh, and so I'm walking up Hooker Hill. I'm having a great old time. Great are you, Lord. <laughs> As I'm walking, I'm in the middle of the street, and I realize, hold on, why? I've never had so many women look at me. What's... <laughs> I start turning around and stuff. I realize, what the... Half-naked ladies, everyone, what's going on? Oh, I read about this place. It's Hooker Hill. Now, the first thought that came to my mind was, okay, two thoughts. One was, I'm scared of my wife. <laughs> and then, listen, that's a healthy thought right there. The second thought that came to my mind is, what if people see, I'm a, I'm a missionary, a black one at that. What if, seriously, that, that's a big deal. What if people see me? And so I did one of these. <laughs> and I bolted out of that place, went home, didn't say a word to my wife. It's the first time she's hearing it. <laughs> went home. I'm like, man, what's going on? And I, I kind of felt good because I know, you know, you should flee. You should flee. And I flee. <laughs> I obeyed the word. Look at you. You clapping. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to clap for long. But <laughs> I, st- I fleed, man. I, I Usain bolt out of that place, got home, slept and whatever. But here's the weirdest thing that happened, Pastor Jonathan. For about a week, I started having nightmares. I kid you not. 
And the problem was that there was one particular lady who, for whatever reason, I caught her eye. And, and when, I, when I would go to bed at night and sleep, the, the, those eyes kept on coming back at me. And what was messing me up was not where I found myself. What messed me up was the uncompassionate response that I had, that I was more concerned about how I look than how I felt for a broken people. I, I know, I know we are meant to flee, but I want you to get something. I should have fleed and prayed. I should have had my heart be broken for what was taking place, but instead I preserved myself and did not try and pursue the kingdom answer for that place. What haunted me was my heart was not broken for the people that God had sent me to. And I prayed. Now listen, I prayed, but I didn't go back to Hooker Hill. I want you to know that. <laughs> now maybe I would have gone with a strong brother or a strong sister, but I didn't go back. But, but here's what I realized. I, I prayed around Hooker Hill. Because I, and the reason why I didn't go back is that I, I've had problems in that area in my life before. So I was very aware that I need to make sure that I flee from what I need to flee. But my heart was challenged. That I need to be at the forefront of, Lord, you need to come and fix this. You, you, need, you need to allow my heart to be broken for those who are lost. Now, you won't have dreams of eyes looking at you. But all of us know that there are people who need to look, who need to see. But we also know there are people who need to hear. And what they need to hear is not their current state. What they need to hear is, you shall be. This is who you will be. And Peter rocked up in this moment to Jesus. His brother brought him to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, Ah, you Simon, son of Jonah, you shall be Cephas or Peter, which means rock. Now I found an ancient picture. I found uh, how Peter actually responded to this moment. The rock responded like this. Anyway, those of you who used to watch wrestling, you know this moment is funny right now. It's, this is rigid. Okay, turn back. The, the spirit has left. Okay. Listen. Peter starts his ministry by a change of identity. Today, some of you need to restart your life with a change of identity. Your entire life, culture has told you that you are what you are. Uh, but Jesus says differently of you. He says you are something else. And whatever it is he says about you, it is solid. It is firm ground. It is unmovable, unshakable. And it is forward moving in momentum. And it will bring change not only to you, but to the lives of the people around you. You shall be something. But you need to hear what that something will be. The only way you can hear it is by coming to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we come to an end this evening, I thank you for the fact that you've allowed us to look, you've allowed us to see. And I hope, Lord, today you'll allow more people to hear. If you're here today 
and you know that today you need to respond to what you are hearing you know sometimes our ears become dull of hearing good things and they begin to expect to constantly hear bad things but today what you've heard is good news that if you're far you can come near because Jesus who is fully God left a place of comfort chose to be a man lived a painful life perfect life died a painful death and he rose on the third day so that you in this moment could hear his words calling you to the kingdom there is a life beyond mediocrity that you are called to it starts by responding to what you hear today if that's you you saying i want to respond to what i'm hearing i want to follow i want this new identity i want to be in the kingdom i want to know what it's like to be a follower of jesus christ i want to give my life I- i've turned away from god i want to come back to him if that is you right now in this moment saying you want Jesus you want to follow him won't you put up your hand right now where you are just shoot it up in the air and say that's me i want to give my life to him in this moment i want to give my life to him eternally anyone here who's saying that's me that's me i want to give my life to Jesus anyone here thank you lord anyone here thank you lord thank you lord father i thank you that all of us have heard your message all of us have responded to your good news and so lord i pray that this year knowing what we know we will show and tell of your good deeds and your great works